Do you have a bit? Do I have a bit? Pardon. I guess I could do a bit of like Clint Eastwood as a radio DJ. <laughs> okay. Shoot. I I don't I'd be you know because he talks like this all the time. And, mm. But everything, all his dialogue in this is so snappy, like, it's trying to be snappy. Yeah. I know. That's what I said yesterday, remember? Yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, like, yeah, you, you said, like, he spends a lot of time in this movie, like, trying to be cool. He wants you to know he's cool. I feel like that happens sometimes, though. Sure, but, like... The Iger sanctions a bit of that, too. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, Clint Eastwood <laughs> definitely wanted to manifest his own, uh, you know, image to everybody by being like... Look, I fuck, all right? <laughs> but it works because he is cool. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. you know, th- that's the thing. But it's so weird then to watch him have to try so hard. Yeah, well. He's, you know. But it's kind of weird seeing a bunch of his movies and he- his characters are all sort of the same. It's like they're one person with split personalities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I think it's all just, you know. I don't know how many Clint Eastwood movies you've seen. I, I haven't seen too, too many. I've seen a couple of westerns and a couple of his, like, starring vehicles and then a few of his directorial things which he's usually in you know to some degree um so like i feel like i've seen a little bit from each like section of his career right um but i haven't seen everything definitely not um like i've only seen one of the dirty harry movies and i'm not even sure which one it was um it's probably the second one i think but i'm not sure it it's weird like have you ever seen him give a good like just acting where you're like oh he's not playing clint eastwood He's playing someone else, and he's really, really doing it. I feel like he was like I liked his acting a lot in every which way, but loose for some reason. Like I feel like he wasn't his typical <laughs> self. In that one. Okay, Allison, do you know what every which way but loose is? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Um, that's the one with Clyde the orangutan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, wait! I have, to, I have to ask you a question because I haven't seen that in years and years and years. Does he uh does he kiss the orangutan in that? Yes. Right? And then when he when he kisses the Snoopy doll in this, I was like, didn't he kiss a monkey later too? I was like, is this like a thing? <laughs> Supercut of Clint Eastwood kissing it like inappropriate partners. Yeah, I gotta look out for him kissing animals in his movies. <laughs> yeah, because it's like the same bit. He like, I'm asleep, I'm so half asleep. Now let me kiss you, baby. Wait. <laughs> It's a Snoopy doll. Wait, I also remember a scene where Clyde, the, the orangutan, like forcefully kisses Clint. So I can't remember if it was the other way around or not. Oh, that's true. Because, yeah, in my head, it's like the same bit where he's like half asleep and assumes it's like a lady or whatever. And it's Clyde. But I do remember because Clyde kisses like a couple of people in that movie. And I remember it being like a thing where they were like this monkey's a great actor. Like he can do anything you need. He can kiss people and whatever. I was like, how is that a good, <laughs> that's not a good actor. It's a cool trick. You know, if you have a movie where you need a monkey to kiss people, but I feel like the script for every which way, but loose didn't call for like, now the monkey must kiss someone because that's the monkey's arc. They were just like, Oh, the monkey can do this. Let's do that. I mean, not a monkey and orangutan, but yeah. Uh, you know, he can do this. Let's do that. Like if, if he was great at like cartwheels, they'd be like, Oh, he cartwheels some more. Mm-hmm. But it's not exactly plot, <laughs> plot inherent, you know. Uh, For two movies, he did it. Oh yeah, what's there was the, a sequel. Yeah, what's the sequel called? Any which way you can. Any which way you can. Yeah, that's right. For years, I remembered the wrong title, and now I can never remember which one is the right one. Yeah, it's any which way you can. Because I thought it was like every which way but home or something like that. And my, I said it to my friend one time, and he was like, 
what the fuck are you talking about? I was like, the sequel to the movie with Clint Eastwood and the orangutan. And he's like, that's not the title. <laughs> I was like, what am I thinking of? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> Yours sounds like one of those things that was popular in the 90s of a bunch of animals trying to get back to their home. <laughs> right. Well, okay, what if it was a crossover? Like Homeward Bound and Fly Away Home and all that stuff. <laughs> right. What if it was a crossover where, you know, truck driver Clint Eastwood and Clyde, his orangutan pal, are like, we got to get this shipment of, I don't know, kibble. Across the country, Clyder, I'm going to lose my job. And the monkey, like, blows a raspberry at him. And then, like, they're driving, and he's like, Hey, look over there. A bunch of geese and a dog and a cat. Looks like they need to get home. Let's give them a ride, Clyde. And then that's the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Clint Eastwood and Clyde the Orangutan in Every Which Way But Home. I'd watch it. I uh, would have watched it on Comedy Central the same way I watched the other two. Make it also be Christmas, and I think that's a slam dunk. Oh, baby, people love a Christmas movie. <laughs> hey, watch, hey, watch. Hey, watch, hey, watch. Hey, watch, hey, watch. I hate them all, but I just can't stop. No, um, we can never forget that he was in a musical, a Western musical. Oh, is he in uh, Paint Your Wagon? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I kind of forgot that. I've not really seen a lot of uh, Clint so, Eastwood. So, Paint Your Wagon can best be, and is best, summed up by when it appeared on The Simpsons briefly. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and it's just, it's a Western musical, and, like, Lee Marvin is in it. Uh-huh. And... So like cannibal but less fun. <laughs> it's it's just like it's a jaunty musical about like western movie clichés. Interesting. Um I saw it once uh after seeing it on the Simpsons a bunch where I assumed it was fake. Mm-hmm. And I remember being at the video store and being like that's real and then immediately renting it and watching it and being like well they nailed it. <laughs> they kind of nailed it. <laughs> They did. Yeah, it was a really good... Like, it's just a straight representation of what happens in that movie, pretty much. It's just boiled down to one musical number with whoever the hell doing the voice of Lee Marvin. (laughs) Yeah, Clint Eastwood. I mean, like, I don't know. His career is weird. I I think, you know, doing spaghetti westerns, you know, the the Italian-directed westerns, Mm -hmm. were... It was seen as, like, not... It was seen the way, like, being on TV used to be seen, where it's like, oh, you're not... You're not doing real Hollywood pictures, you know. It's like you're doing, you know, some uh, ragtag, you know, thing over in Italy with those weirdos, you know. Yeah. And oh, you tried. Oh. Well, it's just like, yeah. you know, he's like, you know, oh, Clint, I haven't seen you in a while. You gonna, you know, you got any movies coming out? He's like, yeah, I'm in a bunch of, you know, yeah, I'm in a bunch of Italian westerns. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sh- sure, pal, you know. Mm-hmm. But they're, I mean, I haven't seen all of them, but the ones I've seen, like, they're good westerns. They're well made, you know. I mean, obviously, Italian directors are good at directing they just do it weird it's just you know compared to hollywood it's weird well i mean also a lot of that's just functionally because of how they shoot yeah yeah that's what i mean like they you know they don't shoot they don't record live sound they just record it all they dub it later and you know and we've talked about this in other episodes but like you know so that's different and i guess hollywood viewed it as like inferior I mean, the one of the advantages of that is that you can plug in, like, whatever language you need, so it makes well, it that's, ready for, uh, yeah. you know, an international market. And, right, and that's why they did it, and that's why, yeah. and their casts were also really multicultural, because they were like, we'll get this American guy, we'll get this, you know, uh, uh, 
this Italian guy, we'll get this German guy, like all these well-known actors in their countries. Yeah. And they'll all kind of be the star of the movie to one way, or they'll have, you know, a major part. And that way we can sell it immediately to three countries, you know, three major markets yeah. or whatever. Like, like I don't, I don't entirely see what the, uh, you know, argument against that is. That seems like it's very... I mean, I think it's know. the argument that, like, if you're not recording in a proper recording studio then you're not a real band mm. you know that kind of thing where it's like well we just recorded this in my garage and they're like oh okay buddy good job and it's like sure yeah it's like shut up yeah um, i mean like i could see like being like oh you know the art suffers but like i don't know hollywood yeah. definitely makes a lot of moves where the art suffers anyway so like Ooh, i would I, th- <laughs> this is a whole other conversation for a whole other podcast but like hollywood i don't think really has any idea what art is anymore and i also don't think they care sure I think there are people within the Hollywood system who definitely care about art and are still trying to make it, but I don't think they represent Hollywood. Yeah. And I definitely know Hollywood does not represent them. I'm sure we've talked about this before, where, like, yeah. you know, there's there's different aspects to this, and, you know, you have the artist, and then you also have the uh, monetization of the art. Sure, yeah. And these are often at odds. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, like, one day, maybe soon, maybe, like, in the future, that, um, you know, there, there'll be a new Hollywood separate from Hollywood, you know, just as big as Hollywood, but not, um, one of the same, like people that do bring in the art back as it was and without, you know, any limitations that have, that are in Hollywood to get an Oscar, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's totally plausible. I mean, like given the state of Hollywood right now, you know, major movie productions for the most part are shut down. Some are, some Mm -hmm. are going through, but like, it's not at the pace that it was, which means the rollout for major release, tentpole releases, franchise things are, is going to be slower. It's going to get back to, you know, as like studios used to have one big tentpole a year, maybe two. And, you know, or maybe you had like, if you were a really wealthy studio that had a lot of productions, you could maybe have one per quadrant, like one per season. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, now they're like, well, let's stagger our tent pole release. Uh, it's like, how many fucking poles does your tent need? I think your tent is fucked up. <laughs> like, that's not how tents work. But um, but I think, you know, with the slowed rollout, and I think that's going to help uh, independent productions that don't need large casts, don't need large crews, don't need, you know, all this bullshit. That, you know, it's easier and possible to work safely even while maintaining, like, covid safety protocols Mm -hmm. because you're working with a much smaller crew and you're probably not working in like sound stages enclosed spaces as much you know you can you can do stuff in you know i mean sound stages are huge but like you know you can do stuff in homes outside inside you know like whatever and and keep things moving um i think we might you know there might be a rise in like decent quality independent film um and then also we're ousting a bunch of uh you know Hollywood honchos because they're all fucking creeps and I mean if there's no one you know if there's no one being a creep at the top of the pyramid then I guess maybe the rest of the pyramid can try to make some interesting stuff so my only argument would be that like this is your pro creep take well no no (laughs) because like we're talking about something to supplant Hollywood and like the only thing that you're really able to do that would be supplanting it that would be sustaining would be a decentralized kind of thing where there is a lot more both independent films and filmmakers and then also independent outlets for stuff which we are seeing with the rise of streaming and you know the possible fall of movie theaters because yeah which i mean 
and and there's a lot of moving parts here um but yeah i mean once... i guess i was more talking about a uh, mm-hmm. uh a new hollywood yeah um, but i mean like once you have like because like that's the thing is like you're you're talking about like having you know major studios so a lot of it's very um like insular to a couple of different big companies and if you were going to have something to supplant that then it would either have to be a very different structure or it's just going to run the risk of repeating the cycle well i mean i think (laughs) i think no matter what it will be cyclical there will always be somebody who gets in charge of something who is like wow this made a lot of money i like the way that feels and they're going to be like let's do let's try to mimic this in the best way possible well then we're (laughs) then we're getting into economics and capitalism and this is a movie podcast (laughs) i I know but they're inexorably tied yeah yeah i know i know um yeah yep Anyway, um, do you want to do the intro? Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Sup? <laughs> Come on. This is a weird... So for anybody that like was like, oh, this podcast made it to 50 episodes, uh, and then they listened to our last episode, mm-hmm. and then now they're like, maybe I'll check out, you know, this, like, I guess after 50 is a milestone, gives us some credibility, you know. Uh, so I feel like... People might be like, "Oh, this maybe they maybe they got everything under control." And it's like clearly we have not. No, uh, we've started this podcast by rambling for fifteen minutes about Hollywood. And, I mean, like it's related, but uh, we're here to talk about the film "Play Misty" for me from nineteen seventy one. Seventy one. I wasn't yeah seventy one. Directed by Clintifer Eastwood. This is full name. His full legal name. Okay, but I mean, we didn't even do. Hello, excellent humans, and welcome to another episode of Hate Watch, Great Watch. Well, so I was kind of going to go into, uh, you know, if you're new to the podcast. Oh, where um, have you been? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, no, like I said, like, this 50 is a milestone, so maybe they're like, oh, well, this is established, let me check this out. Um, and 51 seems like a good place to start, you know, so maybe maybe they need a, a brief explanation of what we are. We're a movie podcast on the Movie John Podcast Network uh Run out of Philadelphia, the great city of Philadelphia. Hosted by myself, Hunter Bush, and... Myself, Allison Yukulis. And we watch movies and talk about them. And I know that doesn't sound unique or interesting, um, and it's not. But uh, it is fun, and it might be interesting. I think it's interesting. I think uh, you're very unique and interesting. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. <laughs> um, I think those are code words. <laughs> for ugly <laughs> which is good because this is an audio medium he's got a great personality i do i have tons of personality but yeah uh so we, we watch all kinds of movies there's no real parameters there's very few things we would veto but we'll watch just about anything and talk about what we like about it what we don't like about it and make fun of it a little because like fuck it who cares there's not too many sacred cows in like oh you can't joke about this movie it's like i'm pretty sure i'll find a way mm-hmm uh, and we occasionally sing dumb songs, uh, make dumb memes, and tell a lot of stupid jokes. I do bad impressions, so get ready for that. As I said, I'm Hunter Bush, and with me as always is Allison Yakulis. Hello, excellent humans, and welcome to the 51st episode of Hate Watch, Great Watch. Our guest today is uh, our dear friend who picked the film. Please introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Aiden, and I like movies. <laughs> it's a good start. Yeah. I like movies is a good place to start. I don't think we've had anybody on who would be like, hi, I'm whoever, and I do not like movies, except maybe Brian, but mm-hmm. he's a crank. 
<laughs> he's my best friend and he's a crank. Uh, so, you know. Still that's on fair. that grudge match yep. with Tina for most episodes. Yep. Yeah. Till, till, till we all die. Till we're all in the ground. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone doesn't like movies. I think most people like them. Uh, there's some people. I know, like, multiple guests on the show. Bill doesn't really watch movies. And I don't know if it's, like, a, he doesn't care for them or he doesn't have the attention span or he thinks they're dumb or I don't know. He, but he, there's a couple that he likes. He's been on the podcast more than once, so. Yeah, twice. Three I times. Think. Three times. Mm-hmm. We did Scream, yeah. we did Night Shift, and he was on with Keith for Joyride. Yeah, I forgot about Joyride. Yeah. Um, and then also you hear him on every episode because he did our intro and outro music. Yep. So, yeah, Aiden, why did you pick Play Misty for me? Um, well, Clint Eastwood, like, as I told you yesterday, he was one of the biggest reasons why I got into film right now. I don't know. I always enjoyed his stuff. Uh, and I've been getting into the erotic thrillers recently. Um, so I wanted to see this one held up. I uh, haven't seen it in probably six or seven years. And when I watched it this time around, I realized I barely remembered any of it except for the basic plot. Uh, yeah, I... I've, similarly, I saw this once, um, but it was probably like 10 or more years ago, and I liked it. And I remembered like broad strokes, but not a lot of the details. And when I saw it, I had not yet watched Arrested Development. So I was just like, oh, okay, that's just some actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm just like, that's Lucille Bluth. Yeah, it's Jessica Walter. Yeah, Jessica Walter. Obviously, it's the youngest I've ever seen her. And... So I think I saw her pop up in something... But it wasn't a major role. She was probably like second or third female lead mm-hmm. kind of thing, like like main main character's best friend or something. And I was like, oh shit! Like I recognized her voice before I saw her, and I was like, ah, oh. yeah. But like, yeah, this is the this is the largest role I've seen. Yeah, her, yeah, from her. I think she's very good. Uh, what's funny is it's also the nicest I've seen her, which is kind of funny because she's being kind of a crazy bitch in this because she's getting into knives right 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 but like yeah because like i you know she's on arrest development as lucille bluth who is you know just the best yeah but uh that and then she also voices uh mallory archer on archer and is kind of in a very similar role of just being like stone cold matriarch yeah 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 it's great yeah. And she's great at it. Real catty and bitchy all the time. And then this, she at least has moments of being nice. Yeah, yeah. Before and she swings into being murderous. Yeah. And like the I always had always read and heard that she's like Oh, she's apparently the sweetest. Right. She's an incredibly yeah. sweet human being and then she just plays these like stone cold bitches, which yeah. is like super must be super fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was very thrilled to see her in this. So, uh, yeah, the way the, the way the show works is um, I'm going to give a brief uh, walkthrough of the plot, and then um, we'll talk about whatever we want to talk about, Any, anything that jumps out at you, you know, moments, plot points, whatever, and, and we'll hopefully have fun. So, in general, this is the story of Clint Eastwood, who plays Dave Garver, and he's a disc jockey on, like, an overnight shift at KRML, Carmel, California, radio, Um uh, well, it's the, the town is specifically called Carmel by the Sea. Oh, is it called Carmel by the Sea? Oh, yeah. I thought it was just Carmel, and then no. he added that. No, like, that's the official name. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. That's some real fucking, like... California bullshit. Well, that's some real fucking, like, English and Welsh bullshit. Oh, like, yes. All the, and, like, I mean, I guess maybe Scotland and other places, but there's a lot of yeah. those, like, whatever by the sea, yeah, like, tag or, on things. Or whatever, pawn, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. but uh, yeah. So he's like a, an overnight DJ, and he plays like jazz 
kind of funky, like, like you know, as he puts it in the movie, music to be real nice to each other by. <laughs> Which is sex. That's code for sex. That's how Clint Eastwood describes sex. And he's, uh, you know, he's decently popular. We see him interact with a handful of people uh, outside of the radio station, and most of them are fans of his show, including, like, the chief of police. <laughs> <laughs> who's like, yeah, I listen to your show, I don't like it, because <laughs> you don't play, like, who. I forget who he requests, but uh, I was like, that's kind of funny that everybody in this town is like, oh yeah, I know who you are. Routinely, he gets phone, you know, phone-in requests and stuff, and uh, one of them is from a, a, a sultry voice on the other end requesting that he play the song Misty by Errol Garner. You know, she always says, play Misty for me, which is the title of the movie, mm-hmm. which we get about two minutes into the movie. Yeah, it's it's the opening credits, and then it's easily within five minutes. Yeah, and uh, he plugs a uh, local restaurant that he frequents uh, called the Sardine Factory Restaurant, <laughs> which is cool because it seems like they just picked three words out of a dictionary. <laughs> I think I read that that place is real. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. But the name is just funny. It's funnier that it's real. Yeah. You pointing out that it's real doesn't make it less funny. Like that restaurant in my old neighborhood, Mr. Chicken? Mr. Chicken. <laughs> yeah that's funny that's a funny name for a restaurant aside from having like a bob's burgers level like pun name calling your chicken restaurant mr chicken is really funny because i think then okay so you want me to to conceive of this as like the proprietor is mr chicken and he's serving me also chicken and that was hilarious and it's so funny that like years later they basically did an entire episode of bojack horseman about that concept or it's very british you get your clothes tailored by Mr. Taylor. Oh, so just this this person's family has worked in chicken, chicken for so, so long. long that they're just known as the chickens? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But there's a job title there, like yeah. poulterer. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think it's a good last name. But yeah, so he goes to you know this restaurant after work, and uh, he's hanging out with his buddy, the bartender. And a, a beautiful woman eventually approaches, and they hit it off. They go back to her place, and they sleep together. Uh, Evelyn Draper, and that's uh, Jessica Walter. Then, you know, he, he makes a point before they sleep together of, of, you know, making sure it's super casual. He's like, yeah, you're a nice girl. I don't want to get, I you know, I, I kind of got caught up on one before, and I don't want to complicate my life. And she's like, okay, let's not. And then they sleep together. Let's just play it cool. Yeah, let's just play it cool. Uh, he's a cool guy, Dave. Good old Dave. Clint Dave Eastwood. And then she starts to just, like, you know, show up at his house, which he never seems super weirded out that she knows where his house is, but whatever. And she's like, hey, I brought food. I thought I'd surprise you with dinner. And he's like, you know, you couldn't, like, call first or I'll call you or something. And she's like, I just thought it'd be a nice surprise. And he's like, yeah, sure. Things like that keep happening. She gets more involved in his life and um, is also just sort of, like, surprising him places and showing up uninvited and... He's trying to establish, like, boundaries. Like, oh, I'll call you. I, I'm busy this week. You know, God, I'm working on a thing. I'll call you. And then she doesn't care. And she's like, well, I thought you were coming over. He's like, I thought I was supposed to call you. And, you know, I guess I can come by later. And it gets, you know, worse and worse until he kind of has to put the brakes on it. Because he has, like, recently rekindled his uh, old love interest, which was the nice girl he got hung up on that he mentioned before. And so he wants to kind of put the brakes on this thing. And uh, then she tries to kill herself. And Evelyn, it, not Evelyn. Evelyn, sorry, not, yeah. Uh, Toby. No, the, uh, the yeah. Other girl. Yeah, Evelyn tries to kill herself, and uh, Dave gets like a weird buddy of his who is like an illegal, like off off the books doctor who comes and like you know t- 
tends to her wounds and gives her some drugs uh, to help her relax. And he's like, you know, I should report this to the police, but you're a buddy of mine, so I guess I won't, which is, like, real nuts. Um, he blows off a date with his ex, which is Toby, to spend the evening, you know, taking care of Evelyn. And, well, what eventually happens is he gets uh, a call from this, like, job offer that he's been kind of, like, courting. And he has to go take a lunch meeting, and Evelyn shows up and makes a huge scene and ruins it. Then uh, she <laughs> shows up at his house, his, uh, you know, his home, and almost murders his housekeeper, um, And at, at which point she is then committed for a while, a few months, but it's un uh, unclear exactly how long. And the film skips ahead a little bit, and we see, you know, Dave and Toby, like... You know, falling back in love and making love in a water fountain, or in a in a, in a uh, what's the word? Waterfall. waterfall. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I was picturing a waterfall, and I said fountain. I was like, that's not right. No. And then my brain wouldn't fix it. No, I feel like uh, making love in a water fountain will get you arrested. It depends. <laughs> On what? Whose fountain? Public indecency. Not all fountains are public. Okay. This you is, can have a private this, fountain. This is my private sex fountain. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely at least one private sex fountain at the Playboy Mansion, yes? Yeah, well, there's the grotto has a whole fucking thing. Okay. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I've never been there, but <laughs> there's probably just a fountain that people have definitely... If there's a fountain in the Playboy Mansion, somebody has fucked in that fountain. Okay. That seems like a safe bet, yes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, they make love under a waterfall. It's real stupid. Uh <laughs> And then, um, yeah, Evelyn is released uh, from the, uh, you know, institution where she was, you know... The booby hatch, I believe, is the technical term. It's true. Uh, where yeah. she was apparently receiving therapy, maybe. We're not sure. She's kind of a liar. And she says she's got a job. She's moving to Hawaii. And that is not true. She has, in fact, moved in with Toby, who it's kind of established early on. Um, Toby's father left her the house, but there were still payments on it, and she can't afford it on her own. So she likes to have, uh, you know female roommates because um, it's kind of also far from town and you know it's a little isolated so it's nice to have somebody around the house so yeah Evelyn is now her new roommate and Dave pieces this together based on some poetry that Evelyn had quoted to him from Edgar Allan Poe's Annabelle Lee and he's like wait a second that new roommate's name is Annabelle no, I don't trust it. And then he puts on an old episode of his show, pre-recorded episode, and drives up there to go to the rescue. And uh, then there's more knife fighting. Yep. And um, in the end, spoilers for this movie from 1971, in the end, Evelyn is defenestrated out of a glass sliding door uh, over a balcony and down onto the rocks. And then that, that's it. That's all she wrote. So that's in brief. Yeah. That's the film. What do we want to talk about first? Um, well, I'll just talk about the first thing that I noticed. And this is going to be real film school, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> oh, man, but... if you say it's his dying dream, I'm ending the Skype call immediately. Oh, I love That's saying exactly... that because <laughs> Oh, no, is, um... is it the, like, she stabs the pillow thing? Is that the part where he supposedly dies? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. probably what it is. Okay. No, go ahead. Um, but you know how the film opens with, like, the helicopter shots, like, looking in on the, the landscape and, like, the houses. Sure. And then it zooms in sure. on where Clint Eastwood is. Yeah. And then you get those shots where it's following him in the car. Like, I know a lot of movies use those types of shots, but this one, like, used it in specific moments in the film. Uh, and it just felt like someone was watching him from the very beginning. That's just, I got that feel from it. 
And what and the reason I bring it up and why I find it interesting is because the last shot of the movie zooms out from Evelyn dead floating on the water and then zooms out to like you know to show the wide yeah the whole landscape again yeah and so like but but i think that's the first time it zooms out from a zoom in so like no one's watching him when she's dead that's just what i got from it that's interesting yeah yeah Yeah, that's uh that's a very good read on that uh i will also say that like you know this is some of the more competently used wide shots you know or like uh you know whatever whatever they call it with the helicopters and stuff like distance stuff helicopter shots yeah okay <laughs> that's what i call them Pre- pre-drone shots pre-drones but, <laughs> but no um because i mean you know they're cool to do not everybody uses them effectively but i thought this was very yeah. nicely put together yeah i agree i i think it's i think it would be hard to um <laughs> i think it'd be hard to get helicopter footage of clint eastwood driving a fucking cool car on the california coast and not have it look good <laughs> I guess. Like, those are all very good elements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing that initially made me go, like, all right, was the um the font. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the that was so font. jarring. It's, it's bright green. Oh, it's like, wait, the... I have to bring up something about the opening credits. Oh, yeah. So, do you remember the song in the at the end, or, like, in the middle of the movie when they're making love in the water fountain? If ever I saw um, your when... face. Yeah. Yeah. But did you, did you notice that they misprinted the name it was like they wrote the first time ever i saw your face and i just noticed that yeah i saw that i was like oh maybe that's the title you know but like it sang differently like you know in the song yeah i don't know yeah i but i wasn't sure i actually meant to look that up and i forgot to but yes yeah, important yeah they play the whole song it is a long sequence it is very uh i think my my notes say that it's meandering <laughs> It is a meandering sex sequence. It is, dude. I know. It's (laughs) it's so weird. I I don't get it. Um. Okay. So his relationship with Toby doesn't do a whole lot for me. I feel like you know the plot, the way that uh, we described it. Like, I feel like you know you kind of need. I like the ending. I like that he shows up. I don't give it, you know, like he shows up, they get into a knife fight and he pushes her, you know, she falls to her death. Okay. And then like, you know, he, he picks Toby up off the bed and he's comforting her and they're standing, you know, wherever. And, um, you hear him on the radio because obviously Evelyn's been listening to his show and, uh, you know, he's like, well, this one goes out specifically to Evelyn. It's, you know, it's the same recording we hear earlier. Like we see him record earlier, you know, at some point during the movie. And he says like, it's the Errol Garner classic Misty. And like, it's like, okay, cool. Like, you know, like, and that's a good ending. I really like that. And, you know, for that to happen, you need all those things in place. You need him to be at the radio station, set up the old show, you know, then go rescue his, his girlfriend, you know. I think that the idea that they are like somewhat estranged seems unnecessary for this. Because the whole thing is like, they're kind of estranged because he was probably cheating on her or... He's, you know, in, in in like as we see when he hooks up with Evelyn, like he says, like let's keep it casual, let's just keep it cool, you know. So like maybe he was doing that with Toby and seeing other girls, and like she just was like, ah, eh, this is, you know, I um I, I can't deal with this, and bailed for a few months, stayed with her friend, you know, and he was like, where is she? I haven't seen Toby, blah blah blah. But like I don't know, it's implied that they're they had more of a relationship than that, so it just seems like he was probably cheating on her. 
and that's just his, you know, his deal. He's just, you know, kind of... So I don't get why then the movie can't just be that he just, you know, has a one-night stand with a woman. He has a current girlfriend at the start of the movie. He has a one-night stand, and it spirals out of control, you know. He and the, you know, girlfriend live in different homes. You don't have to do, like, a, you know, open-door farce thing or anything. You just have to, you know, sort of... This woman keeps showing up at his house and whatever. Because then, yeah, we have this, like, slowdown in the middle of the movie for this one entire musical number, you know, this entire song, while they make love a couple of times and hold hands in nature. And it's really weird and not tonally like the rest of the movie. Because, like, the rest of the movie is, like, a thriller. It kind of has moments of, like, almost, like, almost giallo-like stuff. Like, some of the edits, which, I mean, might not be a, a... Clint Eastwood directing choice it might have been the editor you know there's some interesting stuff there and then the middle of it is just like this it looks like a fucking it looks like an ad for best of the 70s music like soft rock collection mm-hmm. it's just like people Bowser commercials yeah like yeah it's just like it, it's it's like oh all your favorites from uh, whatever I don't know seven like air supply you know mm-hmm. ABBA like whatever and it's just like two people walking holding hands on the beach making love in a waterfall you know this weird awkward you sexy are the dancing queen yeah <laughs> like and this awkward sex scene in the woods yep which is just like it's just shots of random body parts. Yeah, they have his hairy legs at one point, and I'm like, that's not really hot. Yeah, I and mean, maybe like, it was hotter in the 70s, well, but it's, like... Uh... It's kind of too close to initially <laughs> be like, oh, it's legs. Like, you just are like, oh, it's it's clearly both of their bodies, but I'm not sure what I'm looking at initially. And it just sort of cut from like, okay, that's a hand on, oh, it's an arm. Okay, that's uh two legs, I guess. And it's just, it's weird. And at one point, it seems like Clint Eastwood is going to go down on her. And then they oh. cut away, like, there's a discretionary, like, Clint Eastwood's like, I don't know if I want to show that in my movie. The same thing when um, Al, the other radio DJ that we see him interact with, is like, hey, I'm going to, he says, roll, I'm going to roll this number, which is my favorite term. I think I mentioned this in another, another episode. It's my favorite term for smoking a joint, mm-hmm. is roll this number. And he's like, I'm going to roll this number. Do you want to join me? He's like, nah. And so Al smokes this joint off screen around the corner. They never even have like a pickup shot of Al smoking weed. Yeah, no. You get one little shot of this thing that's clearly not a regular cigarette. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a joint. Yeah. We never see him smoke it. <laughs> no, I know. That's and the what same I'm thing, like, like, we see Clint Eastwood, like, it looks like he's, like, kissing around her navel, maybe. And then it just cuts to something else. And I was like, okay, Clint, so you're. You're gun shy on weed and cunnilingus. Good to know. I feel like, I, I mentioned this to you when we were talking, Aiden. Like, I feel like if you put me and Clint Eastwood in a in an elevator, clearly our policies would be different. <laughs> I am very much pro a number of things he seems to be anti. But I mean, like I said, you know, that doesn't affect my view of his filmmaking. I just think it's interesting what he, you know. <laughs> what he discretionarily cut out of his film. Did you notice that the only in the only scene with uh, Toby and David that was indoors was when they were with Evelyn. The whole movie they were outside together. Yeah, uh, I definitely. Um, uh, there's also like a, a a fade at one point from like I can't remember what had just happened, but like yeah, it was something with Evelyn where where David is like 
exasperated and kind of like you know oh she was calling him uh repeatedly oh is that it yeah. and then it, then it like super you know it fades from him to like the beach or the woods or something but like it's it's super it's superimposition fade yeah so you see him like dissolve into nature yeah and like i think this is you know it's all trying to sell us on the idea that dave that clint eastwood is like a cool jazz guy which i don't buy yeah, <laughs> yeah. i don't think yeah, he's a cool also, jazz. like really connected with nature too i guess because his whole house was nature and it was around nature yeah i mean like, like he it's it's one of those houses that has like an open courtyard where you have to walk on like rocks through a pond to get from his like front door to the sliding glass door like interior it reminded me of a james bond villain like villain's lair <laughs> yeah oh yeah definitely I could see that. It was weirdly, um, I noticed, that I don't usually notice, like, architecture and stuff, but, like, I was never really sure where the fuck anything was in his house in relation to anything else. Yeah. Like, it, it was just really strange. And also, like, the walls were, like, covered in foil. Mm-hmm. Like, his bedroom wall behind his bed is, like, it looks like gold leaf, like, yeah. or gold foil that has just been stuck on everything. And then I was like, oh, maybe that's, like, a weird design thing. But then, like, another part, I think it's his kitchen, is, like, silver. And I was like, oh, is it supposed to be, like, it's unfinished construction and maybe he's, like, renovating? But I'm like, I don't think so. I think it's just a weird design choice. Yes. Yeah, I think that's... I don't get it. Yeah. But yeah, he, he I guess he likes nature. We do get a couple, you know, scenes of him and, and Toby, like, going for nature, nature walks with Evelyn, like, lurking in the distance. And then there's a really good one, which is very italian like you know thriller where her hand just comes in from like the right side of the screen and like snaps a branch yeah. angrily and i laughed very hard it's very yeah. silly mrs Voorhees. it is yeah it's a mrs Voorhees shot mm-hmm. oh jessica walter would have made a really fun mrs Voorhees. oh yeah, yeah. she would have yeah. been great yeah the one the one mrs Voorhees that we got i forget her name though she was perfect she was she was it was really good because she's very unassuming you don't you know you don't look at her and be like oh you know she she looks mean yeah I feel like uh, Jessica Walter got typecast where, like, before uh, she played so many notorious bitches, she maybe would have been a good one. <laughs> but it was also weird to me because, like, uh, again, with Jessica Walter, she's doing, like, a very, like, kind of breathy vocalization here. You know? Yeah, she's yeah. like, hi, David. It's yeah, very she's, high. Hello. She's, yeah, doing, like, the whole 70s sex pot thing. Um, which, and doing it well. Yeah, no. Um, and oh, I, mean, I just want to interject. Mm-hmm. Betsy Palmer played Mrs. Voorhees yes. in Friday the Thirteenth. I couldn't remember her name. I wanted to look it up. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's very. It's you sultry. Know. I know, yeah. but also it's not how I'm used to seeing her, and she the she did that very confidently. Oh yeah, yeah. She's a sexy lady. Yeah. Oh man, that was the other thing too. So I didn't. You mean like you're the, used to like lucille yeah. bluth and, and being like lupe untie yeah. the balloons which yeah. is my favorite line <laughs> and even mallory archer yeah. is you know sharp yeah yeah um so yeah seeing her do this like sort of you know softer thing even when she's angry it's just it's loud it's not like she does there's like two know. moments where she really yells it so like yeah. uh they're having like an argument outside of the restaurant and some guy's like hey lady you okay you need <laughs> yeah. to help and uh you know clean was like hey he doesn't say fuck off but he's like you know mind your own business pal and she's like <laughs> she's like leave me alone you son of a bitch like she like really yells yeah. at him like, <laughs> and, and yeah. clean was like wow the fuck yeah well, you're the, really loud for abroad oh well, the guy the guys in the background that were you know they're like well, let's get out of here he's already got enough <laughs> enough trouble yeah <laughs> oh boy 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of going back to the whole sex scene and stuff. That was the, the, the Toby. Yeah, that was yeah. the other thing that I noticed is that like, or that was the thing that was more jarring to me is that there's this long, languid sequence with her. But anytime he and Jessica Walter are gonna have sex, it's cut away from pretty quickly usually to the point where like i forget what was happening but like there was one thing where like she stayed over they it was implied that they had slept together i'm like wait you slept with her after whatever craziness had just happened yeah i oh maybe it was a snoopy doll yeah or something they weren't clear yeah how they couldn't hell he only chose to show his masterpiece sex scene no so i mean like that sex scene like in the middle because it's it's shot like a different, you know, type of movie. Like it's it's shot like he's trying to convey something else other than, you know, like oh, this is a thriller, this is, you know, what I I mean, the whole like I said, the whole relationship doesn't feel like it needs to be there. Yeah. Narratively, like it does, I don't think it does anything for his character for us to watch him fall in love with fall back in love with Toby because it's not really clear whether this is the first time he's ever fallen in love before or anything. Like, I don't know what the point of it is. So like, yeah, it just feels weird. And it feels like he took it really seriously. And I, I, I think what that is, is, you know, even in 1971, Clint Eastwood deciding that, you know, he would like to be a prestige director. He would like to be a director that makes films that are Oscar contenders. Well, this And I think is... he could point to that you know, scene as like, look, look how lyrically I can portray the act of lovemaking. I'm a cool guy. Well, I don't think we mentioned it, but this is his directorial debut. Uh, no, I don't think we said that. Aiden, you mentioned yeah. that to me the other day. Yeah. It's, it's solid for a directorial debut. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think I like Clint Eastwood as a director. I yeah. haven't seen very many of like movies that he's acted in or anything like that. And I've only seen the, this and the Iger sanction as far as like what he's directed. But I like his style. I think that a lot of like the 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 composition that yeah. he chooses is very competent. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and especially yeah. in this, I mean, less so in Iger because there's a lot of it's a lot of outdoors. But like, he's very comfortable in like in spaces, like using using spaces. Yeah. Um, you know, like having the camera, like, like in, in, in David's courtyard, like there's a lot of shots, which I'm guessing was like a crane set up overhead, like, Mm -hmm. uh, looking down in the courtyard so you could follow like people walking through it and stuff. And like, but then when he's in the house, all the rooms are kind of small. There's still a lot of movement and, you know, interaction, you know, it's usually only two or maybe three people in a space. It never feels cramped. Yeah. Because sometimes that can happen if you're shooting in like an actual room as opposed to a soundstage is like the camera and any other accessories take up so much space that you can sort of almost feel it encroaching on your field of vision into the room. And other other directors, you know, especially early in their directorial stuff, tend to do a lot of static indoor things. Yeah. Because they're like, don't move around too much because it's hard to, you know, for all this gear and us and the camera and you guys to exist in a space. Sure. But you can only, you know, it's it's weird. You watch a movie and two people come in and then sit almost motionless at a table talking, you know, or they gesture with their arms, but they don't get up to get anything or like bend down to tie their shoe or like act like normal people. Right. But all the physical interactions in like the recording studio, all the like apartments and houses in this, like people were just kind of moving around and everything felt realistic. Like people were coming in and out of rooms to do stuff and, you know, and it didn't feel like uh, stagey. Right. Yeah. 
Which is, I mean, like, that's good, you know. Yeah. It's good. That's what I'm saying. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if, and I, I imagine a lot of his earlier work was the, the Westerns and stuff like that. Um, so I feel like having kind of like, I'm going to call it like an action background. Yeah. Maybe was helpful for him in, in conceiving of using motion in sequences. Yeah. I, I mean, I do think overall he's a good director. Everything that I know that I've seen, like, like I said, I'd seen this before. I didn't realize he had directed it. Mm-hmm. But like everything that I know of that he's directed that I've seen, I you know I think the direction's solid. It's not flashy. No. There's no like style per se. He works with like good cinematographers a lot, and that mm-hmm. adds the appearance of style to things. You know. Sure. But like yeah, there's not a lot of like he, he's... yeah he doesn't have signature moves or whatever. But yeah, or, I... or not even signature moves, just like stuff that's not super flashy. Yeah. Like uh, have you seen Million Dollar Baby? No. The I told you, I've only seen this in the Iger sanction for what he's directed. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure if you knew that he had directed that, that's all. Like, you uh, yeah, might have I, seen it and I, not known I looked he... at his filmography before we oh, started, because okay. I was like, is this all I've seen? And yes, it is all I've seen. Yeah. So, like, spoilers for Million Dollar Baby, the whole movie, you know, hinges on this accident that happens, you know. Oh, man, I was going to watch that. It's good, we're going to watch I mean, I, I am going to watch that, um, but like, no, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it hinges on this accident that happens, and like... It's not a flashy shit. It's, it's kind of slowed down a little, mm-hmm. but not in a exorbitant yeah, way. Right, and, not in like bullet time or any of the other. And it's not the whole, like yeah. a whole sequence is slowed down. So as I remember it, cause it's been years, but like, as I remember it, it's not like the whole sequence is slowed down where to the point where you're like, okay, this is the important thing I have to pay attention to. You're watching a fight happen and then this accident happens. So just that shot is like slowed down. You're like, oh shit, what's happening? You know, mm-hmm. and it happens and it's kind of just like, oh, it happened. And then we move on. It, it's not, you know, it's just well, a well-composed shot. It's, right. you know, closer than the fight was, you know. Right. But you're not trying to manufacture drama by dwelling on this thing. Or, and, and, or, and you're not doing like, oh, a push in, like a dramatic, you know, yeah. like, um, which can work. And so like we watched um, Eyes Wide Shut and there's a wild, like very, uh, it felt very Italian to me, like push in um, during the, again, I guess spoilers for Eyes Wide Shut, but there's an orgy <laughs> in it. Uh, in case you didn't know that, there's a costume party orgy and they're all about to, I guess, I don't know, peg Tom Cruise or whatever, uh, whatever his punishment would be. And um, the, this woman walks out. And she says, stop. You know, it is I. I will take his punishment upon myself. She doesn't say it like that, but I put, a little, I put a little stank on it. Yeah, that's the effect. But the, you know, and this, you know, this like camera just like pushes way in from like all the way across the room and up to the second floor balcony. And it's like a wild shot. And it's mm-hmm. very, it's flashy. Yeah. Like just as a shot. Um, and it works because the whole thing is crazy. Like that whole sequence, that whole scenario is crazy. So it doesn't feel, to me, it doesn't feel like it misses the tone or doesn't match in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like he's unshowy, uh, Clint Eastwood, as a director, but really, really competent and solid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think Clint Eastwood holds back a lot and he uses like stylized shots or transitions when needed. Like, do you remember the one part in Play Misty for me where he has plans to go meet with Toby somewhere or go to her house, but then he ends up staying in bed with evelyn and it zooms in on his face and then zooms out to show like a long length of time passed by like from day to night same position yeah 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 so like that was really stylized and you know he he only used that because it was needed i think 
for the storytelling. Yeah, that's a good call. Mm-hmm. I believe that was after the doctor friend had left. Yeah. And he was supposed to go over and visit Toby, uh, and then he just, like, didn't show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite bit of acting, I think, from Clint Eastwood was watching him walk on the beach in dress shoes. <laughs> After his business lunch, uh, like falls apart, mm-hmm. and he goes and finds Toby like sunning on the beach, and he's like, "I have to go. T- I have to tell you the truth and whatever." But like, watching him try to navigate walking in dress shoes on the on on the sand was like, I was like, mm, "This feels real. It feels like you hate this." <laughs> <laughs> I also was not expecting that business meeting to like result in him actually going or like hosting the radio show for that jazz fest because like she ruined it i thought that would have been more effective if it didn't happen for him oh i i I thought they were two separate things yeah i thought they were two separate things i thought he was trying to get this woman madge something to pick up a show yeah i think he was going to host a new radio show with her or for her company yeah because i thought she said something like we're having this jazz fest that's kind of like woodstock or monterey pop or something and they talk about the jazz fest throughout the movie, like in the very beginning when he shows up at the at the station. Al is signing off and stuff like that, and or or maybe it's while he's like driving up and stuff like that. But like Al mentions the jazz festival and stuff, so I think it's like this big thing that was just happening around oh. there. I, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like he was covering that. No, the on her behalf or anything. Yeah, no. I thought that. Yeah, the show because at one point he's telling um he tells Evelyn like oh, I can't visit you like this week. I'm I'm working on putting the show together. I have to write all the like copy you know for it, and I have to choose all the songs and stuff. And I think it was like him pitching a new radio show so that he wouldn't have to do the overnight you know, thing that he's been doing. Yeah. It's like, you know, but she's like, I love your, your demo tape that you sent in, you know, with all the, and she's like, I love those songs you picked. She's like, you know, we're, yeah. Uh, like Aiden, like you said, she says like, you know, we're going for like, it's a very like Monterey, you know, pop thing. And she, but then she starts telling him like, Oh, you'll have to work with kids. And you know, they need some, I forget how she phrases it, but they need some like handling. They need some, you know, like smoothing out kind of. Mm-hmm. So I, my impression was that he would be like, running a new radio show and maybe would be working with like interns or something. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, Madge uh, is like holding this demo tape thing. And she's like, you know, I love this. I'm, I'm going to hold on to this. And you know, this is the, the key to your new career. And then uh, Evelyn shows up and just is like crazy as hell immediately. Like she's like, Oh, this is your business meeting. Dude. It's clearly a business meeting. Like, cause then she's like, isn't she a little old for you? And you know, Clint Eastwood's like, Hey, knock it off. And, you know, she's like, she couldn't get laid in a lumber yard, which I was like, I looked at Allison, just slowly turned my head and was yeah. like, what? And you were like, I guess lumberjacks are like real horny. I was like, I guess that makes sense. But I have never, you know, earlier in the movie, Clint Eastwood tells uh, Toby's oh. like gay best friend, like, why don't you go trolling for sailors? You know lumberjacks are horny because they always got wood. Oh, get out of get out of this room. <laughs> You're fired from the podcast now. Come on. You're fired into space. You can't fire me. I've been here for too long. <laughs> That's true. You have, what, tenure? <laughs> podcast tenure? Yeah, it does feel like 10 years. <sighs> but <laughs> that's, just, that's just the quarantine. Um uh, but yeah, he, he, he tells uh, uh, Toby's uh, like gay best friend who she, you know, uh, hung out with when she was getting over Dave, you know, getting over Clint. 
Um, he's like, why don't you go trolling for sailors? And uh, the actor has like, he just delivers the, it's very, it's a very like bitchy performance from him. He's only in one scene, but like, he's like, oh, don't mention seafood. And I was like, Clint Eastwood must have fucking loved this line. Yeah, man. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's funny, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's a weird thing to have in this Clint Eastwood movie. <laughs> but so following up the, you know, like we've all heard the going cruising for sailors as a thing. I guess. Fleet Week, sure. like we—that's yeah. a thing we're familiar yeah. with, like in pop culture. Yeah. I never once heard like lumberjacks. I mean, it makes sense. It's the same thing. It's like, oh, they're just stuck in a remote location with you know nobody around yeah. for X amount of time, and then when they roll back into town, they're probably going to be real horny. Maybe but there's not enough logging around here. Yeah, I think there's not. <laughs> I think logging is not the industry that it was. Yeah. What I found crazy about that is like. He throws Evelyn in a cab to get her out of this restaurant <laughs> yeah. area and is just telling the cab driver, just drive. No cab driver is going to take anybody anywhere without an address, especially if she's like, you know, yelling and screaming in the back. Yeah, she's hanging half out the back window yeah. going like, I love you, David. I love you. It's insane to me that he drove off with her. Yeah, because like David's I thought, a local celebrity. That's true. I mean, that is kind of true. I wish that the cab, cab driver, driver had been like, "Oh, hey, Dave." Yeah. Why does everybody know what he looks like if he's on a radio show? Uh, I mean, maybe it's a small town. I guess. Maybe he's God. just fucked half the town. Yeah, it's not even like Fraser Crane having all the bus signs and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not even like that. We don't see him anywhere. No, but like everybody knows him because he's yeah. the radio DJ that sounds like Clint Eastwood. I guess. God. Now we're going to listen to jazz. Yo, when he... I guess it's, he's it's the him. antithesis of Tony Hawk. Yeah, it's the antithesis, <laughs> the antithesis of Tony Hawk. Um, Aiden, do you get that joke? No. Uh, I don't. Do you know who Tony Hawk is? Yeah. Okay. The skateboard. Good. Good. That's a good start. Apparently, famously, he's got like a bunch of things on like Twitter of like him being out and about and people being like, oh, you got that name like that skateboard guy and him going like, yeah. Yeah, or being like, you know, you kind of look like Tony Hawk. Yeah, that too. Yeah, and he goes, I get that a lot. Yeah, because he's it's... like, he's a good man, and he doesn't want to lie to them, but he also doesn't want them to know he's Tony Hawk because he's like, I don't need this kind of hassle. But yeah, it just it, <laughs> it feels like his life is constantly people being like, oh yeah, you look like that guy, <laughs> and him being like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I... just Clark Kenton it around everywhere. Yeah, like yeah, his like half his Twitter is just him recounting like. Shortly after they happen, yeah. instances where people say he reminds them of Tony Hawk in yep. some way. <laughs> yeah. Like at the airport and stuff. Yeah. Or just, you know, people ask him if he skateboards. <laughs> yeah. So that's what. But yeah, like, okay. So I want to talk about the jazz festival briefly, because that's another thing that feels weird in this movie. Yeah. So like, well, sorry, first of all, okay, so it's Al and um, Al's like girlfriend or date for the for the festival. And then Toby and Clint Eastwood, Dave. Clint Eastwood looks like a fucking narc, man. <laughs> if I was at a jazz festival and fucking Clint Eastwood showed up, I'd be like, no, nah, we're staying away from that dude. <laughs> he doesn't look fun. He doesn't look cool. He does not look like he listens to jazz. It's weird. Even in real life. he I think he composes his own jazz tunes. Yeah, yeah. No, he's, yeah, he's, he, he does, I think he scores most of his movies, like, recently. Oh, cool. Yeah, and he made The Bird, too, about Charlie Parker. Yeah, like, that's the thing is, I know that he does like jazz, but I, in my head, he likes, 
different jazz. Yeah, because I mean, jazz is not one thing. It's, Country jazz. It's like saying, you know, it's like saying like punk. It's like, well, there's a million different kinds of punk, you know, like whatever. But like this was very like, again, like they it's the Monterey Jazz Festival. So like it was like a very groovy hippie sort of like yeah free jazz jazz kind of thing. It wasn't like yeah. classical jazz. Right. And I feel like he likes classical jazz. Like he probably like, you know, loves like Miles Davis, Charlie Parker, you know, like the, you know, Django Reinhardt maybe. But like, I think when it gets into like free, free love jazz stuff, I think I would not trust him. He, he still looked like a fucking narc, man. Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah. It just, you know, it was weird. But also that sequence is just odd because it doesn't serve any narrative purpose. Do you think Al offering him pot? implies that maybe he smokes pot sometimes but just isn't smoking pot when we when we're watching maybe but also maybe al's just a conscientious dude yeah maybe al's like i know you're gonna say no but maybe tonight's the night kind of thing yeah you've been a little tense lately (laughs) yeah there's a crazy crazy jessica walters stalking you do you think clint eastwood gets paranoid when he's high i don't think clint eastwood gets high i don't either i can't imagine clint eastwood high no, if he wants to get high, would he just yell at chairs the whole time? I would just yell at chairs. <laughs> I think Clint Eastwood gets high and he just hears, like, the score from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly <laughs> just in his head. <laughs> so is Eddie Morricone here? <laughs> Wait, no, he probably looks in the mirror and wondering if he really is cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. He gets really, like, insecure. <laughs> All his insecurities come to the surface. <laughs> He's like, I'm a cool guy, right? And he puts on sunglasses and he looks at himself over the top of them. Oh, man. He does that so much in this. <laughs> yeah, it's like six it's not, times. Is it? Okay. It's a lot. Okay, okay. Because I said that and I was like, no, I think it might only be a couple of times, but it feels like more. <laughs> yeah, because he makes such a meal out of that shot, like, I every know. time. He's like, oh, look boy. at it. Yeah. <laughs> you ever see Jim Carrey do his Clint Eastwood? No, I bet it's brilliant. It was good. Yeah. Oh, oh that's awesome. We just watched Earth Girls Are Easy the other night, and man, Jim Carrey being an alien is just too perfect. Like It's a little on the nose. No, but it's just... <laughs> and he's doing all the Jim Carrey stuff, but it just works so hard. Yeah, at one point, there's a God. thing where... He does grip his own butt a bunch. Well, there, there's a, I was gonna say there's a thing where like I forget an alarm goes off or something, and then uh, like he and Damon Wayans like panic, and their panic thing is to just like bend over. Mm-hmm. Um, and Damon Wayans just like in the movie you see him dance, so he's very like limber. So he bends like at the waist, like at a ninety degree like angle, like straight down. You know, mm-hmm. Jim Carrey does that thing where he like folds in under his own legs. Yep. And I was like, dude, just move those hands up, and all of a sudden you're Ace Ventura now. Yep. Like just start talking out of your butt, man. <laughs> It was like, it was wild watching him almost do it. Oh, <laughs> I was like, is this alien going to talk out of his butt? Yep. Again, it was all the same moves I've known for years, but it was just perfect. Yeah, there's a thing, <laughs> you can find it probably online, I've seen it before, of like, I want to say it's eight or twelve, like, still images from Jim Carrey's, like, headshots <laughs> of him doing impressions completely visually. Wow. So one is like Clint Eastwood, and he does like the, you know, he straightens his jaw out and like squints down and gets like... And one is E.T. And you're like, oh, he does look just like fucking E.T. somehow. Ooh, like, it's great. Just ooh. visually, you're like, I know exactly who these are. Did you see uh, Jim Carrey play Joe Biden on SNL? Because he did a Clint Eastwood impression during that. Oh, God, show. really? Oh no, I didn't see that. Uh, <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to look it up. Oh, man. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I think he does a I think uh, Jim Carrey, I think he does a uh, Clint Eastwood in like Bruce Almighty or something. 
Mm, yeah, maybe. I think it's part of the gag where, like, because in that movie he's, like, bullied by people, and I think, like, he goes back, finds the bullies, or sees them picking on somebody else and, you know, gonna have it out with them. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden he, like, quote-unquote turns into Clint Eastwood. Oh. So then, like, it's just Jim Carrey doing his, Jim, his uh, you know, Clint Eastwood impression and being like, do you feel lucky, punk? Do ya? You know. I remember that sequence yeah. that you're talking about. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. I haven't seen Sonic the Hedgehog yet. I heard it's good. I really want to see it. Yeah. I hope it's better than Detective Pikachu because I really wanted that to be good and it wasn't. It was not great. Uh, that movie was more concerned with how the P- Pokemon looked than um, with, you know, like the movie being good. At yeah. All. <laughs> it's like it's like cute, but yeah. like it doesn't really make sense. Well, that's the thing is I love uh, Ryan Reynolds doing weird stuff and I was all ready for this to be real fun and cool. And yeah, I don't know didn't have enough plot okay <laughs> so here's the thing in the movie that i wanted to mention it's, it's early on um we talked a little bit about the title like the you know the font and color choice it's like it's it's like tiki bar font yeah well i think it's it felt very 70s it's it's a cool guy font yeah okay it's a jazz record font it sure. looks it, like it would be the thing now if you opened a fucking tiki bar mm-hmm. you have like three letter choices and one is like legally not the jurassic park letters yeah and one is like something that looks like it's made out of palm trees Mm -hmm. and then the third one is this yeah i don't know what the name for it is i'm not a font guy to that extent but it's the kind of thing where like you know the letters are like a little like uh you know wibbly wobbly kind of like they're a little thicker at one end than at the other and it's a little cool jazzy and then this weird green it's like a a little bit blue it's not super lime green but like it's weird it's a weird font color for this movie mm-hmm. yeah and, and like it's just a weird thing where i was like okay and i was like maybe this movie has more like fun like bounce to it and it's not it's a thriller like it's yeah. it's not like a fun time it's not even like because and you were saying you got into a lot of thrillers um it's not even like De Palma doing thrillers where it's like a little campy almost oh right. no yeah. no Clint, Clint yeah, like could nev- to kill. Yeah, Clint Eastwood could never... I don't think Clint Eastwood can handle camp. No. I don't think he can wrap his head around it. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, um, it reminded me of m- more, like, I don't know, Fatal Attraction or, like, Body Heat. Yeah, I mean, it's this is, you know, more of an erotic thriller thing. Yeah. So, recently on, like, Twitter.com, um, there's been a... You said the legal name, even. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm mad at it. That's why. Oh, okay. It needs to go clean up its fucking room. Yeah. Um... But somebody posted a please, you know, comment and, and please ratio my post uh, thirst thing of like, I don't think movies need sex scenes. It's it's never necessary. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, eh, you know, I think that's a limiting view. There's a lot of movies that the sex scene is inherent to the plot. And this is definitely fucking one of them. Yeah. Like this is a movie that doesn't work without sex. Like the argument could be made that you could just say they had sex. It's like, right. But then you could just say that like anything happened. The whole movie could just be Clint Eastwood in the police station, giving his statement after pushing her off the balcony at the end. And it could just be him telling you in order what happened without cutting away. And it would be a tour de force, but it wouldn't be a movie. Right. I mean, also, after us talking about how disappointing them just mentioning the jazz cigarette and not showing it. Yeah. You know, the audiences hate that. Yeah, it's just like... That's why it's show, don't tell. Well, yes, exactly. Like, movies are a visual medium as well as audio, and that's why that rule exists. And we've definitely talked about that on other episodes. But, like, don't just tell me a thing happened. Like, maybe show me and tell me at best, or or try to convey it without having to then tell me. But, oh, the worst thing is to show me... 
understand that I get it, and then still tell me. And I mean, also, like, I could see the argument of, like, oh, maybe people do it bad, except that, like, just anything can be done poorly. Yeah. And yeah, when things are done bad, then they're bad. When things are done good, then they're good. Speaking of erotic thrillers, I quite like the erotic thriller genre. I think, even though oh, yeah. there are some very good ones in the 80s, and, and obviously here in the 70s, and I, maybe even further back, I'm not, you know. I think they really hit their peak in the 90s. Yeah. The 90s was an especially horny decade. Indeed. Well, it was going to be Y2K, so maybe we were all going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, sh- <laughs> the ship was going down. So we should, too. <laughs> but, like, we just watched Jade not that long ago. Yeah. And Jade is another movie that does not work without sex scenes. And, like, I, yeah. I would say the and, sex um, scenes are... We covered Fear on this podcast. Yeah. And I was talking about how the ending to this reminded me a lot about the ending to Fear. Yeah. Have you seen um, Call Me, Where Oranges Enter Sex? What? That no, that's what it's called. Call me, and then like there's weird sex scenes that involve orange. Oh no, it's call me by your name from like the eighties, eighty eight maybe. Oh right, yeah, we've seen call me. It's it's uh, uh it's an erotic thriller. It had a young Steve Buscemi in it. The girl, the it's a whole crime thing and whatever. She's getting like dirty phone calls, and then one of them is like erotic, but about an uh, there's fruit involved. No. Yeah, we saw it. You picked it. It was like two years ago, though. I understand why you would not remember it. Is it the one where she keeps call like the same guy keeps calling her and there are yeah. masks and stuff? That's yeah. Oh, I liked that quite a bit. Yeah, but I don't in... remember the oranges. Okay, <laughs> but I got it confused with "Call Me by Your Name," the yeah. recent uh like uh love story. It's a gay love story. Um, there is a sex scene. There's a masturbation scene involving a peach. Oh. Oh. Yeah, uh, I don't. I haven't seen it, um, but everyone was talking about like you know when when that became like the topic online. I saw a lot of posts that were like, "Fuck, now peaches turned me on," and whatever. And I was like, "What's this now?" So I found just that scene like somewhere online and watched yeah. it. And it's yeah, it's it's you know masturbating and then being like, "Oh, I'll I'll finish in this peach and then I'll eat the peach." Wow. Yeah, and Ooh. I was like, I was like, all right, hot. Wow. I'm for it. Uh, is, I think it's the Chalamet boy. <laughs> but Inventive. so yeah I, I i think that there's a lot of really great erotic thrillers in the 90s and i don't think any of them really would survive without the sex scenes like it takes a, a certain viscerality away from things sure. to, to cut away those discretionary shots mm-hmm. um the same way that like you you know yes you can make a horror movie where you don't actually see anyone get stabbed or run over with a lawnmower or whatever the thing is but it's not as satisfying as if you do get at least one of those. Like, I'm not saying, like, every time they had sex in this movie, we should get, like, a five-minute, an entire fucking love song scene, Clint. Mm-hmm. Right. But, like, one or two, spread, like they did. Spread around a little right, bit. Right. was yeah. fine. Um, same thing, like, yeah, if you made a horror movie and you just discretionarily cut away every time, you'd be like, this is boring. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you want a little, little action. Yeah. Stab somebody. Yeah. Make love. Yeah. Do something. What else am I here for? Hear people mm-hmm. talk? I could do that at home. <laughs> what I wanted to talk about from the beginning of the movie, it opens and then he, you know, it's like two minutes and then he drives in to work and they're playing this like, I meant to look the song up. It's this fucking like bop. It's a really good song. Yeah. It's real like jazzy and cool. It sounds like something like you'd see on Archer, you know, like yeah. it's that kind of music. Uh, it you comes know. back a couple of times. That's the thing. 
initially they only play it every time he's driving. Yeah. And I was like, I hope they keep this up for the whole movie, no matter what is going on. Every time he has to drive, there's like this exact song. Mm-hmm. And they fucking don't. He fucking chickens out. When he's driving to uh, uh, Toby's house at the end to go to the rescue, they should have played that fucking song. <laughs> it would have been so cool and funny. Yeah, well... It would have been, like, really, really good, because it would have not matched the, like, dire consequences at all, but it would have been great. Well, I feel like one of the times that he was driving, it felt incongruent or something. I remember, I forget exactly, I wish I'd written it down, I didn't know we were going to be talking about it. There was a, a point in it that didn't, I was like, this doesn't quite fit what the mood is here, but... But he used it sure. again. Yeah, I know. So I was like, I oh, maybe he's like, you know, frog in water, slowly heating it up so that we'll, we'll you know, be acclimated to it when he uses it completely erroneously during oh, the final drive. The first part makes, or the first fart makes you laugh. The last fart makes you cry, huh? Oh, man, it's your favorite. <laughs> uh, that's famously uh, a thing that was said about the intent of uh, Swiss Army Man, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, have you seen uh, Swiss Army Man, Aiden? I haven't. It's a weird one. It's worth checking out. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. I would recommend watching it like more than once. Yeah. Like watch it, give it a couple of days, watch some other stuff and then watch it again. Okay. And, and like, I think it's a really interesting movie. And I think every time I watch it, there's things about it that I appreciate more. Cause the first time you see it, it's just so weird that you're not gonna really be able to fully absorb stuff. It's just yep. really strange. Um, and yeah, it's good. I think it's really, I think it's like a really fucking great movie that a lot of people slept on. Yeah. Uh, also, it was very polarizing when it first came out, although now uh, it seems to be generally yeah, well received. Yeah, it's a couple yeah. of years old now, so yeah. people have had time to be like, oh shit, this is good. Yeah. Probably because we told them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're tastemakers. It's one of those things where like it's not for everybody, but there's time now that like people will selectively go see it. The people who the movie is for can find it, and then the people that the movie is not for can ignore it. Yeah. And we're all better for it. Agree. Yep. So Donna Mills in this plays uh, Toby. Yeah. Toby's introduction is really fucking weird. Yes. I was confused at first, and then I was like, oh, okay, because we sort of, like, exposition it into existence. But, like, ooh, boy, that was so confusing at first i know so weird um clint is driving around whatever and he sees a you know noticeable sweater a gaudy sweater worn by a blonde woman with long hair so like for a second i was like oh does he think that's evelyn following him around no he doesn't know who evelyn is oh evelyn yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no sorry i got confused with angeline or whatever no no no. that's what i'm saying is i'm like does he think that this is evelyn does he think it's somebody else there's no way why you would think it was well, no, I was it like, was... is she wearing a wig or something? Like, I don't know. Well, I, that's the I thing. didn't know I... what the significance of this woman was. Right, and that's, that's the what I mean. It's we're... extremely fucking weird. And yeah. then, but also the direction is disorienting. Yes. Well, not the direction, the editing, I should say. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, it keeps cutting like kind of too fast, back and forth and back and forth between back of this woman wearing a sweater and Clint Eastwood like staring at it like, holy shit, like I've just seen a ghost. Back and forth and back and forth like too many times. And that, that that's another thing that felt very giallo to me that's a mm. that's an editing thing you see a lot in that yeah which he does use a little he bit. does a, it's a couple um, of times and i don't know if it's uh it's hard to say if, if it's a him call or if it's an editing yeah. yeah well i mean also it's used more frequently in like the action like stabbing yes. sequences and stuff which i think are 
That's so, where you usually, yeah. yeah. yeah but also, yeah. things are more heightened there, so it, mm-hmm. the staccato pattern of it increases the tension. Sure. Whereas this was disorienting. Yeah. And then it's he well, hops th- out of his car, he crosses traffic, and this woman is unaware that she's being followed by, you know, the man with no name. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he, he catches up to her and he's like, wait a minute. And she's just like, oh, hello. And she recognizes him. They know each other. Well... Well, no, oh, no. She, she he goes, says, oh, I thought you were someone else. And she goes, oh, you must be David yeah. because she's wearing Toby's sweater. That's what it is. I'm sorry. Yeah. So. But we didn't know. No, we didn't know any of this. Any of and that. So then it cuts to him talking to Toby. And then she goes, oh, you must have bumped into Angelina or whatever her name is. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I guess. I didn't know you were back in town. Blah, blah, blah. And, and giving away thing. your sweaters or something like yeah, that was, you know. All of his dialogue is so like, fuck it. He, he like, as a, as a human being, he can't say whatever the fuck he just like talks around it in these pithy one-liners yeah so every time anybody whether it's evelyn who we are told throughout the film is crazy and not to be like uh empathized with or toby who has been like hurt by him and you know whatever doesn't matter every time anybody's like you know just be honest like says you know whatever i'm like he is incapable of it well okay it didn't bother me as much with his interactions with other people but when he does it to the detective, like yeah. Sergeant, uh, what was his name? Mick, no. Nick Nolte. No. Sergeant mm, Nick McCallan. Nolte. McCallan. McCallan, yeah. I made Played that by jo- John Larch. Because I made that joke of, did you bring any? I could drink. Which is about as pithy yeah. Yeah, as, yeah. He's, as he's getting yeah. in the... Um, but McCallan's is a whiskey. Um, McCallum in this also is doing like all oh, pithy... Oh, McCallum? Do- yeah, with the name. It doesn't oh, matter. Oh, I thought... It, okay. I know. It doesn't yeah. matter. The joke still stands. Okay. My Okay, my point was... You know, so he's being interviewed by this police officer when his housekeeper's been attacked and stabbed. Yeah. And he's, like, being very, like, evasive in a way where I'm like, what do you stand to gain here by not being very straight up about what has happened? Like, But but also, McCallum is as well. Yes. Yeah. They have a back and forth in a way that I'm like, this doesn't at all seem You are straight up screaming. Sorry. <laughs> You're right, I am redlining. I'm yeah. very sorry. This um, doesn't at all seem professional, and I don't understand why we're doing this this way. Well, because like, it's because no, it's hard-boiled detective yeah, dialogue. Yeah. It's thriller dialogue. Yeah. Everybody's got to be zingy. And, like, I, he didn't write this. It's not his fault. No. But, like, he also, you know, at no point was like, eh, maybe we'll have anybody just say a thing. The only person that speaks like a normal person is Al. Al. And, I mean... Nope, that's it. Yeah. Everybody else is nuts in this whole movie. Al is the only cool dude. Yeah. He's the only person I would want to hang out with. I would definitely go to the jazz festival with Al. I don't smoke weed anymore, so I would also have to turn down the, the jazz cigarette. But it's cool, Al. Roll your number, dude. Hang out. Listen to hot jazz, baby. The bartender, I think, also talked. Yeah, he's okay. You know. It's fine. Like, I was being I was yeah. being a little facetious for the sakes of comedy. Okay. There was also something really weird that, like, I'm not sure if I missed it or if I'm just completely wrong about this, but... Wait, who was the girl that he ran into? Uh, I think her name scene. was her name? Uh, Angelina or something, but she's like the the first roommate we see. Uh, Toby goes through like three or four as over the course of the movie kind of thing. Yeah, so, and then after that, he, that's when he first finds out that Toby is back, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so doesn't the movie start with him on that on, at her house, like looking at that painting of him? Like, is, is he snooping around at her house? So that confused me. Ooh, there's a couple of things. I didn't think about that. There's a couple That's of things funny. that, yeah, there's a couple of things that confused me about the that painting and um the Monterey Jazz Festival posters. Yeah. Because like, okay, there's a thing in movies, uh, Aiden, you'll be familiar with this, uh, some of you listeners probably as well, called set dressing and set design, where 
you decorate a fucking room so that when the camera cuts to there, you A, have an idea of, like, what this room is, like, who lives there or whatever, what its purpose is within the story. And then also, whenever you cut back to it, you recognize it as a certain location so that you don't have to spend time establishing that you're back at a new location. You know, you've changed locations. They keep using the same Monterey Jazz Festival, which also is always cocked at like a 45 degree angle for some reason. Like, no matter what, every, like, it's in the, I believe it's in the recording studio. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's definitely in um, um, Toby's house. She actually has two of them flanking some like nature painting uh and it's just really weird because like where the shot starts with like clint eastwood like leaning in through a sliding glass door and there's the jazz monterey jazz festival thing like in the on the wall behind him and i was like oh did he go back to the recording studio because that's two things the recording studio has a sliding glass door and the fucking monterey jazz festival poster and i was like wait why would he go back to the and i was like oh no this is her place and the same thing happened with that painting. In the beginning, I thought he just ostentatiously had a portrait of his own face, uh, which is would be hilarious. I thought maybe he was like living with somebody who was a painter. Which, right. Yeah. Like I assumed this was his house. Right. But no, and, you're right. And then, and, then I, I, and then I immediately forgot about it because then we hit credits and then we start the movie. You right. Know? Yeah. And then yeah. you're right. At the, in the finale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's definitely Toby's place. She's the painter. She's working on this portrait of him. I guess before she skipped town for a couple of months to get over him. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess he was, like, snooping. Hmm. Yeah, so, like... That's a little stalkery. No, I know, but, like, <laughs> do you think it's weird how he happened to run into um, Angelina or whatever her name is and acted like he didn't know that was going to be her somehow? Like, it just feels like a coincidence, but they never, uh, like, well, follow up on that he... stalker vibe that I got from him in the beginning. But So maybe I'm wrong, but... Well, he so, might not have known who Angelina or whatever yeah, was. Yeah, I think it's that he recognized that sweater as Toby's, but then when she spun around, he wasn't expecting to see a different woman. And that's why he was confused. But then she had heard of him. And so, like, that was their first meeting, but he recognized the sweater she was wearing because that was originally Toby's sweater. The only reason I said that was because of the whole snooping thing yeah. that I got yeah. from that. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's very... Uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't piece that together until you just said that. That's yeah, that's very good. It's also weird. Yeah. It also kind of comes to nothing cuz again, like I don't think that relationship dynamic needs to be in this movie. Mm-hmm. I just don't get it. It doesn't it doesn't tell us anything about any of the characters really. Yeah. That couldn't be established any other number of ways and make the movie a little bit shorter. It's not long. It's uh hour 50. Something like that. Yeah, yeah like not like over long. And I also learned that Clint Eastwood is a very, very bad Parker. <laughs> yeah, he's not not the best. We were talking a little bit earlier about you know Clint Eastwood as a director. I think he's. I mean, it's. I'm not. I'm not basing this on this or commenting expressly on this film, but I think he's a good actor's director because he's you know he came up through the system like as an actor because he you know he gets really good performances out of his his crew. You know, Allison, you mentioned like Jessica Walter's really good in this. Yeah. Because, like, even after, you know, they're starting to establish, like, hey, she's a little crazy. She's a little presumptuous. Like, it doesn't it doesn't go zero to 60. It doesn't go immediately, like, she's nuts and a stalker. It just goes, like, oh, she's taking liberties with this supposedly kind of no-strings-attached relationship. But, like, not in a necessarily bad way, just in a, hey, we're clear what this is, right, way. And, like, her performance is really good because she also doesn't oversell it as being either, like, oh, I'm just, you know 
totally, totally normal. Not, oh, I, I didn't think you saw it that way, which would be like, you'd feel bad for her as things progressed, even right. if she got crazier. But she also isn't playing it like a fucking mustache twirling villain from the jump. Yeah, no, like there, there is definitely, it feels a bit more organic in that she's not control in control of herself all the time. Yeah. And so that, yeah. I I do feel like they could have had a little bit of a slower development than they did. She does hit the gas a little early for me. Yeah. But, you know. Well, that's the thing that I think if we didn't have to stop the middle of the movie to have him rekindle this relationship with Toby and her go to therapy for X amount of time. Yeah. Like, I think the that music, you know, video in the middle <laughs> um, is to help show that time is passing you know, using their relationship sure. to measure, which is fine, but also like we're not really concerned with time passing in this anyway. There's other ways to do the time passing quickly thing. Yeah, and I would argue that it's a bit stronger of an argument why he puts up with all of Evelyn's antics if we actually see them have a good time together or enjoy each other, and she's not just being like crazy or annoying. You right. Know? Like if there's actually a little bit of relationship but if he's not fully feeling it and then things get weirder that i think is a bit more you know realistic and also maybe a bit more compelling yeah or like i you know i posited like this could be a movie about a guy in a relationship and then he has a one night stand and is like oh this was a mistake mm -hmm. like and I, I i you know i'm sorry uh, whatever and she could still do the like just showing up thing but it could be like oh, i just you know thought we could be friends like we're you know whatever and mm -hmm. it could be you know, like a slower build to where like the movie could also almost kind of misdirect you to think like oh maybe this is a movie about him having to decide like which relationship he wants mm -hmm. like and you know because it wouldn't be a just sexual no strings attached relationship like we could see them like hanging out like you know and i mean this is the thing that's happened in other like of this kind of thrillers like especially like 90s thriller things where the the stalker person is like manufacturing scenarios to then help you know the other person out of yeah like his fucking tire could be popped and she could be like oh hey just driving down the road need a need a need a lift mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing yeah and do that where he's like oh like and that's a, like i said that's a dynamic we've seen in other movies since then yeah that i think would work really well here because it would make the final when she goes crazy, she really goes crazy, and it's yeah. great. Yes. It's literally just, you know, we, we cut to Dave's apartment, and everything is trashed, and his housekeeper, Birdie, is there, which we she, she had been established in a previous scene, like, showing up, and he's hungover, and, you know, they have interactions about, he's like, can you come back later? And she's like, oh, you know, I came early today because I didn't come last week because you told me not to, and, you know, I gotta get paid, buddy. Um he's like all right and then she answers his phone in a playful like we have a playful relationship way mm -hmm. like she's like oh mr garver's phone you know that kind of thing david garver's residence or whatever you know and then she gets fucking attacked by jessica walter and it's shot again i think it's it feels to me very of that giallo kind of camera work because it's just like birdie's perspective the camera is like birdie's mm -hmm. perspective with jessica walter like brandishing a big ass kitchen knife like yeah. just screaming into the lens and like this blade flashing this and it's is, quick cuts and this is also very much the like 70s 80s thriller of yeah. like oversized weapons yeah the knife is very long it's the not knife a it's and not the a scissors later yeah they're huge shears yeah but like yeah the knife yeah. the knife isn't like a big butcher knife where it's like wide it almost looks like a small machete it does it it's does look like a, a fucking machete tip. it's it's, weird. it's really wild 
Yeah, you remember the scene where he's sleeping in bed and she is above him with the knife and stabs the pillow? Yes. Yeah. Like, I feel when I watched that, I thought it didn't really happen. I thought it was a dream or something right. because he just casually got up. She was gone. And then he casually put on his pants to look around or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hunter and I legitimately thought it was a nightmare. Also, I feel like she disappeared way too suddenly. That happens a, a couple of times. I mean in this it's almost a little supernatural how she like pops up and disappears yeah. in a few of these sequences <laughs> jessica walter yeah. sexual ninja yeah uh also yep aiden aiden oh god all right i'm gonna yeah stop it again <sighs> all right all right we're going again um yeah, uh, uh, you were saying, like, yeah, it, it, it seems like a dream sequence because of how, like, yeah, he, he doesn't show any, like, real <laughs> fear or anything. And, and then, then he just, yeah, and, like, get, he sits on his, uh, yeah, like, he just sits on his bed and kind of puts on his pants to look around or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it's not until he gets on the phone with, uh, oh, the, the police, this is after she's gotten out of the. Oh, hang on. Aiden? Boy, what is happening? I don't know. That's okay. That's fine. All right. All righty. Okay. We're good. Can yeah yeah okay, okay. good. All right. So Hold we were talking about uh... it. Is, you're it is a little laggy though. Yeah. Ugh. Um. Uh. You know. I think we'll just have to try to deal with it. Hope it doesn't drop out. Okay. Because we're we're almost done. We're you know. Yeah. We were talking about knives. We oh yeah that he uh doesn't really react the way I think a normal person would react to almost being stabbed and it's not until the police chief calls him to be like oh hey Evelyn is now it's you know it's been months we've seen the love scene montage and everything um and Evelyn has now been released from the institute and she's you know on the prowl uh and he goes you know he's like yeah I know she just stabbed my pillow or whatever he's like oh okay like we'll be right over and then the they're both kind of shitty like they're doing that pithy dialogue thing again, back and forth where, um, the, can you hear us? You think it, it would help if I just use the audio and not video or. Yeah. It's just oh. entirely up to, you know, how the internet gods want to treat us today. Yeah. Cause honestly like this. Well, is, so yeah, this, uh, this scene is cursed. So, uh, let's not discuss it. All right, let's. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Because we've had a bunch of technical difficulties, so let's hopefully finish this off. Now. All right. Yeah. I think that's really all I have to say about the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Big honking knives. He did the quick cuts when uh, he's driving and uh, she's stabbing the canvas. Yeah. Evelyn slicing the canvas up. Yeah. Because, like, that concert scene was cool, I guess, but, like, it did seem a little unnecessary. It did. Um, it was a little weird. Also, some of the camera work was strange. Like, some of it was really, really shaky. And I'm like, aren't you just standing there? Like, Yeah, but then it felt like a concert video where you see, like, the one jazz guitar player's foot, like, uh, like tapping on every beat or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it was odd. I It felt like Clint Eastwood showing that he could, like, shoot that. I don't know. It was, it was odd. Yeah. Yeah, there was also, like... Great footage of crazy audience members too. Yeah, there's a lot of like, like fun like people gi- like you know jamming out in the crowd and. Oh, he got all those extras. Do you think that was an actual concert that was it, being? It was. Yeah, that was. Uh, I forget what the like actual concert or whatever this was, but yeah, it was an actual like 
jazz thing they went to that they just shot around. Cool. Yeah. I don't know how they didn't like re- react to Clint Eastwood just walking around them with a camera crew and. <sighs> I mean, like, I think with those sorts of things, you, you know, you're you're told, like, oh, they're shooting something and whatever, and, you know. I get I mean, maybe, yeah. I think people aren't, they're not there for, they're there to listen to music and hang out and jam and, yeah. you know, whatever, and and I think they just see somebody walking around filming it, and you're like, oh, cool, they're filming something. Yeah, and I mean. if they knew, you know, if they recognize Clint Eastwood, they're like, oh, cool, Clint Eastwood's filming something. Yeah, I mean, also, like, they do that a lot for concerts in general or for, yeah, like, comedy shows and stuff. That's what I mean. Like, I don't think it's stuff. wildly, you yeah. know. Yeah, they were probably. Out of place. Yeah, yeah. there's probably, like, probably some announcement beforehand. Like, there'll be a film crew here today filming part of a movie or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that's about it. I think anybody that acted too weird, they just cut out, you know. Yeah. Looking at the camera too hard. Sorry, Billy. Yeah. Lost your SAG card. <laughs> I don't know. They had that scene to show that he can finally do what he wants to do without Evelyn, like, bothering him yeah 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 possibly i mean i think it's just trying to show he's cool look how cool he is at this cool cool jazz festival what a cool guy <laughs> like one i know the one-liners are funny and all that but like i still felt like everything seemed natural when it came to the dialogue i guess i mean if he's just a very obtuse dude like he doesn't ever say anything that's not like you know really pithy and really like zingy your favorite line was delivered by Jessica Walter. Oh, what was my favorite line? Uh, I hope he likes when he sees when he walks in here because that's what he's ta- taking to hell with him. Yeah. Oh, right. that, I was like, hell yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, when she is terrorizing Toby at the end and he's on his way to the rescue. Yeah. Um, she's cutting Toby's hair to give her vaguely her haircut. Yeah. Like it's a very similar haircut. And I was like, oh, is this supposed to be a ruse? Which is weird, because, like, Toby's got a fashion mullet for a lot of the movie. <laughs> yeah. When we first are introduced to Toby, she is quote-unquote welding or something. He's, she's, oh. I think I thought she was, like, sculpting, like, metalworking. Like, sure. Like, I think she's just an artist. But she has, like, a little flame jobber. Yeah, she got a torch. And <laughs> flame jobber is the technical That's the technical term. term. Um, <laughs> but she's, like... Holding it, not anywhere near the metal, and then she's just kind of, like, bending some metal things on this sculpture she's working on. And then Clint Eastwood's like, can we talk, or whatever. And she just puts it down. It's still on. And she just walks away. And I was like, what? (laughs) That seems, A, dangerous, and B, wasteful of whatever your fuel is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. No, I agree. It was just weird. (laughs) Also, this is California, man. They have wildfires out there. Yeah, but also, like... Maybe it's too much art. You're using fire on metal and then she's touching it with her bare hands yeah well i don't get it but I, again i'm not a metal sculptor so it's outside my purview maybe that's how you do it <laughs> i don't know um she also got clint eastwood's eyes wrong they're they're much colder than how she portrayed them in the painting yeah that's true yeah jessica walters says that and she's i think she's right i i told allison i had this weird like moment of like out like just this weird disassociative moment because there's this painting of Clint Eastwood and I had this uh, like, you know, there's the mist, the movie, the mist and uh, handsome actor, Tom Jane plays uh, like a painter and he's painting like a portrait of the dark tower. One of Stephen King's, you know, stories and like seeing it, it's not a you know, it's not Clint Eastwood, but it's not, not Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you see this, you know, portrait of Clint Eastwood for a second, I was like, Oh yeah, dark tower Roland. And then I was like, no, 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 this is not that. And I was like, Oh wait, what's happening? <laughs> like for a second. Nerd. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good book, though. Yeah. So something that just occurred to me, Toby's probably uh, an artist. You know, Dave is a DJ. Yeah. What the fuck does Evelyn do? Independently wealthy slash crazy. Okay. Hmm. All she we see her do is go shopping and also get that key made. Right. <laughs> She listens to Dave. That's what she does. Yeah. yeah. She might have moved in with a wealthy relative and then just keeps them, like, tied up in the back room. Ooh, yeah. Collecting pension on some, you know, deceased aunt who yeah. she never reported as deceased. Oh. We haven't... Oh, she probably practices with a knife a lot because she's really good with it. She like, is. She's very fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wait. Have it we... would be great if we cut to her just fucking... You know those, uh, those training dummies that are, like, uh, a column with, like, uh, little mm-hmm. things poking out and you practice like yeah. hitting them and they spin and you block and whatever. Yeah. The, little, be... the little peg thing like it, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I don't know if it's for Taekwondo specifically or what style or if it is specific to a style, but it'd be cool if we saw her, we cut to her and she's training on one of those, but with knives, like she's just like chopping at shit and slicing. It's a, it's a visual medium. So nodding at me helps. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I had, I had a, a brain fizzle because you were saying that, and I'm like, I think there's a sequence like that in Electra, and then I was like, wow, that movie was such a dog. <laughs> I've never seen it. Electra is not very good. I've heard. <laughs> Clint Eastwood directed that, right? No. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Do more karate. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy. With Jessica Walter as Electra. Ooh. Uh, I in the seventies, I, I would have. Uh, yeah. she's not Greek or anything, but neither was uh, what's her face. Uh, Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner, Garner yeah, not yeah. especially Greek either. So, oh, she doesn't look like a nachos to you. She does not. All right, this is enough uh, dumb jokes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know if there's, if there's anything else you want to talk about specifically. The Foley work was garbage. Yeah, the the sound effects library they used or whatever was really <laughs> weird. Yeah. Um. At the end, with Jessica Walter w- will like run up to Clint Eastwood, slice at him with the knife, and then run away like Chucky. Yeah. Which was weird. And then... It's a but, lot of, like, shoes on a plank kind of sound. Yeah, it sounds like she's wearing tap shoes. <laughs> it's like, clackety, clackety, clack. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, it sounds like Chucky. <laughs> yeah, there's a door slam in there that's also not very well done. The sound of the like, sink when she goes into his bathroom before she, like, tries to kill herself... I didn't realize it was a sink at first. I was like, the fuck? Is-? I was like, it sounded like uh, an electric razor or something. Mm. Like it had this weird buzziness to it where I was like, I don't know what I'm hearing. And I was like, oh, I think it's supposed to be the sink. Yeah. And there was something else too that, oh, I think it's like um, a car horn or something that like just didn't sound right. Like it was an odd recording of a car horn. Yeah. I don't know. It was weird. Uh, yeah. I feel like Foley works a lot like score where it's, you know, if I notice it enough to comment on it, you either did a very, very good job or a very, very bad job. Yeah. We never find out what happens to Birdie. Oh, I know. I know. But who knows? I don't know if it matters. I mean, well, that's the thing is we're supposed to kind of give a shit. Like they, they bother to establish who Birdie is and that he has a relationship with her. And yet he doesn't ever mention or seem to care whether she's alive or dead. <laughs> like he does this whole, again, indulgent love scene in the middle. There's no cut to like him sending a get well soon card to Birdie or anything or yeah, giving some, a shout out on the radio. Fl- like, yeah. like, hey, just wanted to, you know, wish my, my pal Birdie a speedy recovery. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, I, because we have some technical problems, I guess we should just f- uh, finish up here. Um, 
Yeah. Um, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. This is so wonky today. It's, it's usually not, not like this yeah. bad. <laughs> um, okay, no problem. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go first. I, I think this is a great watch. I, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's a, a great movie, but if I'm choosing between hate watch and great watch, I, I'd say it leans closer to great watch. Um, I think there's some solid direction. I think it's worth it for, you know, Jessica Walter, I think. I think her performance is really good. I think it's, you know, it's imperfect as a film, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah this was a, this was a, a decent way to start my Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Um I agree. It's yeah. also a great watch. My first time watching, I've mentioned during the podcast, I've seen very little Clint Eastwood. Um you know, I I thought especially for like his first film as a director, it's very well done. Um and yeah, it's it's fun. Again, like I said, we had you know, a couple of quibbles, but they're not deal breakers. No, no, no. Yeah. Even movies I love have, you know, problems and things sure. that don't make sense. Yep. Uh, Aiden? I, I'd say great watch. I agree with everything you guys said. I think it's pretty solid for his first uh, movie that he directed. And I don't know, it, it never, to me, I don't think it lost its pace. I always was, like, um, excited to see what happened next. And I think that's the best part of it. It's entertaining, thrilling. So I thought it was good. Yeah, right on. Well, thank you, Aiden, for suggesting this and for taking time out of your uh, your day. Um, is there anything you would like to plug, or do you want to direct people to uh, your social media or a website or anything? Yeah, uh, I have a YouTube channel, Aiden Films, A-Y-D-A-N-F-I-L-M-S, just one word, no space. Um, I have a bunch of experimental shorts, one narrative, a music video, and I'm always trying to come up with new projects, so subscribe and look out for those um cool i also i have a band we recorded an album it's on spotify and all the other music platforms we're called obscure identity it's like psychedelic music and we're on instagram it's obscure dot identity because some some vapor took the name obscure identity where he just blows vape into his face and obscures his face and so he's obscure identity <laughs> Is he an art student? That's, what is that? Jeez. Wow, that's the most weirdly know. specific on-brand thing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, cool. Mm. Yeah, I have. Uh, I, I've heard uh, your band. I, I dig it. It's good. Uh, we'll we'll definitely link to that and share that uh, when this goes up. Anybody that would like to get in touch with us can uh, follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at hwgw podcast uh, and contact us. At right, hate watch great watch. That's w r i t e h w g w at gmail dot com, and you can get us every other Wednesday. That's every, every other, other Wednesday. Wednesday on the Movie John Podcast Empire, or wherever other fine podcasts can be gotten. Yeah, but they're not empires. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks again, Aiden. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having. I think you're our third director. So, yeah. we're. Actually, we have cred, y'all. Yeah, like we're actually getting Working a with bunch directors, of... y'all. I think we've only had like one actor. That's yeah. cool. We're trying. We're helping the Philly film scene. Yeah, it's really, really cool that you know you d- you do that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and yeah, excited for your stuff to come out too.
but yeah, thanks again. Um, we're gonna take a photo. Um, we'll we'll, t- we'll take like a screenshot. I have the thing here, so don't go anywhere. But we're all gonna say goodbye now. Uh, so bye. Yeah. Bye. Th- thanks for listening. Bye.